0: Good evening and um, welcome to the LSE Festival 2020 and this uh, particular event called Behind the Tin Sheets organized by the Department of Geography and the Environment and thanks to J. Raj Sundaresan as well for putting this panel together. Um, My name is Sunil Kumar and in solidarity with the workers we're going to look at in the film I'll say that I work at the Department of Social Policy, I labor there, um, and my, my recent research has been on, the, on urban transformations in five um, Asian, South Asian cities, and <clears throat> on the nexus between the state and internal migration, looking especially at construction workers. So this film has got a lot of resonance in terms of the work I've been doing. The five cities we looked at were Lahore in Pakistan, uh, Kathmandu in Nepal, Dhaka in Bangladesh, uh, um, La- um, Kabul in Afghanistan, and Chennai Madras in uh, in India. Uh, we've got uh, Professor Laura Bear here from the Department of Anthropology, who would be responding <coughs> to the films. Uh, Laura specializes in the anthropology of the economy, state, time, and Urban Ecology. Her work began with an exploration of the Indian railways as an intimate economy that reshaped politics, bureaucracy, and domestic life. Lines of the Nation was her book in 2007. These themes continued in her work with Indian call centre workers and more recently on global trade and austerity on the Hooghly River in West Bengal, a project that was funded by the Economic and Social Research Council. A wish to support cross disciplinary work rooted in anthropology has led Laura to take up positions as a board member in the editorial collective of Economy and Society, LSE International Inequalities Institute and an ESRC funded research network Rebuilding Macroeconomics. Laura's most recent book, Navigating Austerity twenty fifteen, addresses two key questions of our era. Why does austerity dominate in state policy and how can we change this? Drawing on the experiences of boatmen, shipyards, hydrographers, port bureaucrats, and river pilots on the Hooghly, it proposes a social calculus. By this, it a measure, a policy, measures policy according to the qualities of the social relations that it generates. She is now scaling up this research by tracking the infrastructure of maritime trade and new concepts of resilience as they stretch from Japan to India and the United Kingdom. In addition, Laura has a growing research interest in the possibilities for new practices of the public good. Public engagement is central to Laura's research. She's the author, which I didn't know of, a, a novel based on her first fieldwork called The Jadu House. Uh, published by Doubleday and Black Swan in 2000. She has also collaborated with Hooghly River Workers to produce five films that have been shown at the Persistence Resistance Film Festival in 2011 and the Thames Festival 2015. She has also organised an art exhibition with 12 artists on conflicts in time at Hastings Arts Forum in 2011. So the wealth of um, experience there to draw upon. Last but not the least, Hector Mittal, whose films you're going to see this evening. Uh, There are going to be two films. One is called Presence, which runs for about 18 minutes, and the second one is Distance, which has a running time of 38 minutes. Hector co-founded Mara, a media and arts collective in Bangalore, in 2008. She works there as a practitioner, researcher, curator, and facilitator around issues of gender, labor, and caste in rural and urban contexts. She also works with creative practices in public space through independent production and collaborations with other artists. Ector has been making films around labor, migration, and cities since 2009, and her recent film, Birha, is about separation and longing in the context of migration. And just to say that when when I do my research on migrant construction workers, a lot of the focus is on wages and working conditions and exploitation and debt bondage and so on and so forth. I think what these two films capture is the life of these workers in these labor camps after we have left the research site. Uh, and i think it's it 's fascinating uh, in the way that actor has has uh, captured uh, this this everyday everyday life. Do you want to say a few words about the film before we start actor
1: uh, Good evening. you can hear me I guess uh, Thank you all for giving me this opportunity to show my films uh, These films uh, I made them very long ago, so i 'm kind of happy to watch them again uh, <laughs> two thousand and 9 is when I started researching for these films. So yeah, I'm very glad to be here. I'd like to thank the London School of Economics, uh, the Department of Geography. Thank you, Jay Raj, Thank you, Laura, for being to respond, and also Sunil for chairing the session, and everyone involved in putting this together. Catherine, as well. Um, I don't want to say much about the film, uh, films that you'll watch right now or about the project, because I guess we'll be discussing it later on. But I thought I'll just um, read out uh, a small excerpt from an observation that a friend made uh, um, on watching these films. And uh, it's an excerpt from Baudelaire's work, and uh, I just thought I'll read that out. So Baudelaire describes the man of modernity, I quote, "Uh, Away he goes, hurrying, searching, be very sure that this man, this solitary man, gifted with an active imagination, ceaselessly journeying across the great human desert, has a name loftier than that of the mere flaneur, a name more general, something other than the fugitive pleasure of circumstance. He is looking for that quality which you must allow me to call modernity. He makes it his business to extract from fashion, whatever element it may contain, of poetry within history. Baudelairean modernity is an exercise in which extreme attention to what is real is confronted with the practice of a liberty that simultaneously respects this reality and violates it. So I just uh, leave you with that thought, and we'll watch the films, and I'm happy to talk more about it once they're done.
0: Thank you very much. And we will have time for uh, questions and answers uh, after the film. Right. I don't know where to start, really. Uh, But what struck me from the work I've been doing and watching your films, but also a couple of films I saw which were not about the actual act of constructing, but about the relationship between construction workers... Uh, one was a Mexican film called El Hoyo, uh, translated English uh, as In the Pit, the large freeway construction in Mexico City. And the other one was a film I was a uh, discussant on a year ago called Cement, which was about Syrian construction workers in Beirut. And uh, as we were speaking earlier, uh, it reminds me of the book uh, A Free Man, by aman Seth. Uh, aman Seth is a journalist who spent five years uh, spending time with day laborers in New Delhi. And uh, his main protagonists say that a man needs two things in life. Kamai, which is work, and Azadi, which is freedom. So he actually is uh, stoned and drunk for a week, then he sobers up and he goes and works, and then <coughs> he follows that pathway. So that's his notion of life. And what struck me, uh, Hector, about your film, on one side, you had the hardness of construction, uh, signified by the construction hat. And I noticed that the boots were not really boots, you know, but there was no other safety. Because that's the hard and the concrete. And the other side was the kind of dreams and aspirations and stories that are part of human, human beings. And uh, in my work, I'm seeing uh, labor recruitment not as recruitment, but as procurement. It's something that you, you buy and then you dispose of. You know? And uh, it also reminds me of uh, Andre leferb 's work on the production of space, where he talks about representational spaces. These spaces, these tin sheet sheds, which are so ubiquitous in, in large-scale construction projects in India, to the extent that I have come across advertisements on LinkedIn, for, cons- for contractors who actually produce these tin sheds. You know? um, and this, this notion that these spaces are, they've got their own codes, you know? they've got their own uh, boundaries, but lack of boundaries as well. And he talks about time not being linear, but being cyclical. And I just thought on, on just on those few um, few observations, uh, perhaps to pick up on some questions that Laura would like to raise as well, and then opened up the floor for questions from from you
2: all. Yes, thank you very much, Hector, for making a film that so completely humanizes those ghosts, the kind of city makers that exist in all global cities, including kind of around us here um, in LSE. I'm thinking in particular of sort of domestic workers um, in places like the UK. And actually your... Uh, the people that you worked with may actually be closer to us than we might imagine because certainly uh, the men that I worked with in the shipyard in Hara, um also on their sort of journeys where they were seeking to reverse their fortunes ended up in Romania um, and Italy working in shipyards there. So what your films allow us to do um, is to really think about those aspirations for the reversal of fortune in a really kind of embodied, imaginative way so we stop thinking about pull and push factors and more about the lives of these people Um, I had several questions that I wanted to ask you about really the kind of aesthetics of the film um, and the process of making the film and how that represents a certain kind of activist ethic of your own associated with Mara which you've been working with since 2009 Um, what I found so interesting about the films of course is that they are so intimate, and they really slow down the pace and the gaze. Uh, we see people making tea, see the men making tea, we see little shots of steaming cups of tea, the pressure cooker, their clothes hanging up um, and I was really interested in to what extent that was a really conscious attempt of you to intervene in those kind of c n n spectacular images of suffering or even in the invisibility or the sort of hostility to even imagining the intimacy of these men's lives that we all have as we move through global cities and certainly cities in India, the middle classes do. Um, I also wanted to ask you about the process of making the film just because I know how difficult, just, you know, through my ethnographic sort of filmmaking, how incredibly difficult it is to produce films like this look like smooth, easeful images, kind of perfectly edited together. There's a kind of story um, of kind of guerrilla filmmaking and of relationality around each of those images that we've been watching that are just flowing together um certainly in my work uh, when i was filming in workplaces i was very interested in how you filmed in workplaces i had to do it when the managers were away when the union officials away were away because they were the brokers of of workers ironically um and um and and had to kind of sneak in and uh, uh but also i did the filming right at the end of a kind of year and a half of relationality with with the men that I've been working with and so what was being drawn out in the conversations were themes that they were already interested in and I wondered how you had built up the themes of your films through those relationships and what challenges you'd faced in 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 making the films um, and it also struck me that these were films without, you know, they're they're very different from a tradition of Indian documentary filmmaking from the 60s and 70s, where the film would have a kind of didactic message about, you know, the workers' revolution or something like that, you know, and all all very different from kind of socialist realist films that come out of the Soviet tradition where you would celebrate the shock worker, you know, the, the, the person who could construct things and was hyper-masculine and instead we see these these individuals just trying in a very fragile way to, to live their lives and with these, these projects of freedom to some extent. Um, I have a lot more I could say but I, I particularly want to talk to you about ghosts but maybe we could do that a bit later on. Uh,
1: um, so maybe I'll uh, I'll try to respond. I think most of it will come out in my... to describe, I guess, the process of making mm-hmm. the film. Uh, actually, um, I think our work is precise, was designed precisely to move away from the b- binaries that you already stated. One is in the documentary form itself, and two is also in the representation of the worker, mm-hmm. either as the victim or this hero figure that we often see even in Hindi films. Mm-hmm. Uh, so... Um, for us, I think, uh, I think the film project really was conceptualized in a moment of deep despair and also us feeling very vulnerable about the city that we were living in. So uh, both Yashu and me are very old friends and we collaborated on this project to kind of... Uh, it started off as a lamentation because the city of Bangalore, as whoever knows it, is the garden city. And then uh, we were kind of in the middle of protesting uh, against the metro construction in Bangalore. And uh, I think after about several protests that we kind of were part of, we realized that uh, it's a kind of a losing battle, because even though we had produced uh, alternate plans for the metro, that please, you don't need it, there are alternate railway lines. A lot of activists had gotten together and I think it uh, reached that point where we were either angry, sad or just hopeless uh, on many of the nights after the protests and we would just end up in bars just discussing like they're just going to take our city and it's all getting over, it's over. It was just kind of a bit existential and hopeless. At which point I think we kind of said that it's perhaps uh, maybe a good idea to go and figure out what it would mean to uh, speak to the people who are building this metro and understand if there could be a Venn diagram between our nostalgia for the city and their nostalgia for home. So this kind of Venn diagram that we were trying to map and then it just led us to uh, very bravely just go and find where who was building this metro and, of course, it started off at meeting them. Uh, of course, they were very suspicious initially because it's like, you know, two girls just uh, randomly approaching the workers and they're just like, what are you doing here? And, of course, there's security and all of that. And eventually we said, we just want to talk to you and find out where you come from and what, where, where's home and how do you like Bangalore? Um, like, you know, is everything all right? Uh, it was very, very casual initially. And eventually, um, we ended up spending a lot of time. Uh, we recognized that there's a we needed to make a schedule. So we kind of used to wake up very early in the mornings or try and go very late at night or try and catch them during, like, uh, lunch or there's no real lunch break because they're working even then. So then we would try and find them, their yeah, smoke breaks. So it's literally, like, very few minutes sometimes very patchy hours when we could meet them and then we started going to the labor colonies and then we made friends with the security guard and uh, <laughs> and then we we're like you know like just they, and they couldn't really understand what we were doing there but of course also in a way uh, it was the earlier years of the metro at that time it was not as surveilled as it is right now mm-hmm. but I'm sure I'll make my way in even now. <laughs> uh, it's just, it just about conviction, I think, sometimes. Yes. And, like, and then the persistence of kind of always. So we kept going back there every day, and then eventually everyone started to recognize us. We started to spend time with a few um, of the workers who were open to talk to us. So as um, you can imagine, most of the workers who come to build the metro in Bangalore are not from Karnataka, not from, are not local. So they're mostly from the northern parts or central India, mostly. So Jharkhand, Chhattisgarh, Bihar, uh, Punjab, uh, Calcutta, northeast of India. So they would come and, of course, they don't know the language. So there would be a lot of conversations about Bangalore. And then eventually we kind of developed very close relationships with a few of them who kind of kind of warmed up to us or m- may have taken that extra risk to say, okay, I can meet you for one hour, I'll take this risk and take me to a park or something. And in a way, it's also this kind of uh, relationship between, I think, uh, women and men, in a way. There was uh, a lot of times when there was a lot of playfulness in our conversations and we weren't really inquiring or investigating how bad their situation was. It was mostly like, you know, so what's the recent film that you watched? It was very playful in the sense of just uh, talking to them as though uh, it would be like how I would speak to a friend of mine, right? So eventually we realized that there were some of this... uh, We started to understand how far they had traveled, what their trajectories were of migration itself. And eventually we realized that there were a few things, like themes that we were finding resonating in many of the stories, maybe because it was guided by our questions, because we were quite clear, we didn't, we didn't want to represent the worker in this kind of, like, you know, I'm here, I've come so, from so far away, and uh, I have no money, I, I, this is the way I live, etc., which I think is already, in a way, mm. evident in the film, and we wanted to use uh, the language of cinema to actually work through that, rather than it be described literally and uh, also in some ways to pay attention to the mindscapes, what's going on and what preoccupies them on an everyday basis, because even construction work is a very meditative act, like you keep doing one thing repetitively. And in that repetition, I think there's a certain kind of thought that keeps building on in one's mind. So uh, we started talking about dreams, nightmares, ghosts, um, love stories, sexual fantasies, uh, cinema a lot of conversations around cinema and there were some people who were able to describe uh, certain things uh, in like like most of the sometimes when I screen the films they're like you, did you script some of it and we we say no this is how people speak mm-hmm. they speak in verse and you don't really need to like tell them anything this is how people speak and um, so it was really amazing that some of them became very close friends of us and By the time we had made these relationships and even before we said we are making a film, which even we didn't know until we, we didn't know what was coming of it. It was just a plan of going and, uh, I guess, spending time with the people who were just building this metro in the city. And then we recognized that both of us wanted to make a film. And then we said, okay, we'll talk to some of the workers. And so, yeah, they were really excited to be part of the film project. And then they started... uh, sharing things, so most of the interviews that we have, we have a lot of footage, are really long. It's like more than four hour long conversations with the workers and these are just some uh, some parts that we edited to kind of speak to the, the idea of love and desire, um, sexuality, uh, also uh, haunting and what why we wanted to use the ghost as a metaphor of, for the worker and 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 in in all these stories that we kind of gathered we thought it would be nice to place them in in these kind of um what do you call it like tropes like just mm-hmm. groups of i i guess to produce and create a kind of emotion in the viewer uh, that would be more affective and allow them allow the viewer to I, I suppose also go through this process of feeling unsettled so when we screened the film in bangalore many people didn't know that this was Bangalore. Uh, so that was the other binary we were trying to break out of, but not show Bangalore as this green, beautiful, green city filled with beautiful trees, or the IT city of, you know, the IT hub, as what Bangalore is known for. But also kind of a dark shadow city, which has its own science fiction around it. So, hence the uh, our choice in, in the treatment was to, of course, um, keep it uh, very still, very slow, kind of keep this line between reality and dreaming a bit blur, to create spaces of fantasy, uh, to kind of create this, in order to ensure that, you know, we didn't get caught up in fixing the identity of the worker as just this is what he stands for. So, I mean, he has multiple worlds and he is a poet, he's a philosopher, he's a writer, he dreams, he likes to have sex, he... He, he's in love and he's also working and he's building the metro and he's going to leave the city soon. And just one last thing is most of the interviews were shot almost on the last day that, you know, like, mm. so the workers would call us and be like, okay, we're leaving and then we had to like, at the time we were making this film, we had no funding, so it was like really like, mm. you know, we had to run, get the camera, the, someone else had the sound, so we were just like getting everything together and it was literally half an hour before sometimes when the workers would leave, but Oh, uh, it's amazing how they've been part of the uh, this really long process. Yeah.
0: <laughs> Thanks, Hector. Uh, it, it is uh, interesting that the the notion of construction being somewhat different because it underpins all aspects of human life. First thing, we don't r- realize who actually. Uh, nowhere in the buildings that are built are the workers' names there. You know, the only thing I can think of is a film credits, which. Anybody who held a brush is named in a film, (laughs) but in construction, it's the architect and the builder. Uh, But also construction moves, and that's the other thing with construction. You talked about the metro, which is much longer term. And in each construction project, labor is also moving in and out. Mm. That that fluidity in in construction as a sector is quite quite unique. Let's just open it up for um, uh, some questions from the floor, and we can pick up on some of these points uh, as we go along. We just take them in, in groups of two or three, yeah? Hi.
2: Yeah. Um, uh, I, I was quite struck by your comment at the start, just, um, uh, Sorry, but that you were protesting the, the Bangalore metro at the very beginning. Um, I guess I come at it from a bit of a transit geek uh, perspective of why, uh, why you objected to that. And uh, I guess if you could say a little bit about, it. I don't know whether you still do and whether you've seen any improvements in the city and... Um, to congestion.
3: <laughs> there's only one or two lines there at the moment. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I'm just I'm intrigued yeah. about that 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 point of view and what, what, what solutions you would have proposed. Um,
2: and second of all, whether there was any um, yeah, follow up with any of the workers. Um you're saying some of them were moving, uh, leaving as you were <laughs> as you were filming. So um, yeah, just curious whether you have any connection to them. It is to do with the UK uh, construction industry, or kind of
1: Western world, and and sort of Indian circumstances. So, just want to ask you something: Was health
0: and safety a point of, point a point of concern for you <laughs> while while shooting these activities? Because you know, uh, construction activity is very risky. And, and what were your kind of parameters in kind of seeing those through? The
1: workers' health and safety. Both. 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 Oh,
0: yes. oh. A bit of both. Okay. <laughs>
2: yeah. Question. Hi, akta um, I actually lived in Bangalore for the last six months and I was living in India for the last two and a half years so it made me very nostalgic but the question that I have is um, about one of the gentlemen in the movie and the inclusion of I think they were uh, pictures on his phone um, I just find that really fascinating and I'd love to know um, your thought process behind that.
1: Should I? Yeah.
0: yeah right. Okay. Uh,
1: okay. Uh, the solutions and why I protest the metro, and I still do. Yes, and I st- and I also use it. So they are, and we are filled with contradictions as human beings, uh, but yes, uh, I think that uh, the metro we were protesting it because it came at the cost of um, uh, a huge kind of um, damage. Not just uh, it was not just the trees, but it was also displacement of a lot of small. Livelihoods, small-scale businesses that various neighborhoods, and it wasn't done in a systematic manner. The whether you kind of demolished um, uh, various shops, displaced a lot of communities, disrupted ecosystems that have been older than um, I don't know more than fifty years. So uh, where I live in a place uh, very close to where I live is a place called Al Sur, which has a market that's more than. I don't know a hundred. I don't know a hundred years old. I'd like to say. I'd like to believe it's really, really old. And the entire market was brought down, including various um, street vendors who used to, whose livelihoods depend on this, were displaced and with no compensation, of course. And um, uh, and of course, uh, various uh, and the trees that were cut down also were done in a very. Uh, There were various alternate routes proposed to the government, it's not as if we were against the metro, but we found it a bit unnecessary at the time because we also had a lot of alternate railway lines, uh, which could have easily connected us to a lot of places, there was no necessity of this, and anyway in Bangalore we were kind of waking up a little bit late. Um, In this whole idea of development, like, it's just like, it's always like, oh, my God, oh, my God, we have to build, we have to become a smart city, like, tomorrow, okay? It's like this, it's so quick and rushed, like, it's like everything's happening around like this, um, around the disaster. It's like we're always stuck with something or the other going wrong, and before we know what's coming, it's already, like, boom, gone. So uh, one is that, and also I think the amount of money that was getting spent, uh, uh, I think there was uh, the uh, JICA, which is the Japanese bank that was kind of giving the money to to build the metro. There was a lot of controversy around why we need this much money, what kind of materials, and Finally, I think for me, uh, it's also about the process in which you put in place before you get into such a large-scale construction, right? And there was absolutely no system put in place for the workers who were coming, the where the workers were living, how they live, what uh, whether they have access to very basic necessities that all of us would need. So none of this was taken care of, and it still isn't like that. Mm-hmm. So it's, um, it's really like... Um, I, I find it quite violent this this transformation and in this uh, just in this kind of dream of us looking like Singapore, I'd rather just uh, not. I, 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 it's okay, we can wait to look <laughs> like Singapore. It's fine, so uh, there's no hurry yet, But not at the cost of people losing their lives, people losing their livelihoods, and I guess us having a, a, a really traumatic time trying to get across the city right now till I think another 10, 15 years, we're going to have a lot of trouble going our way. I, I don't know what the solutions are, but I think it's just that it can't happen at the cost of so many things going wrong. So, yeah, I stand against it. Although the workers will still say, we built the metro for you. Please use it. And it's uh, it's like, I don't know, it's still a trouble. Uh, it's, it's a bit of a, yeah, it's a troubling uh, experience every time I have to take one. Um, uh, yes, in terms of follow-up with the workers, uh, I, uh, after making distance, uh, Yashu went off to study, and I was still haunted by some of the stories that the workers had told me. So I went back to various... So I m- made very close friends with some of the workers, and I kind of became the point of contact because I was like the only person whose mobile phone number was the same. So everyone would travel into different parts of this, the country and they would still have my number. So they'd be like, do you still know that fellow's number? This fellow? So I kind of became like a conduit point of sharing numbers, etc. And then eventually I decided to go back to uh, some of the villages where the workers came from. And that resulted in my next film, which I just made. Uh, it's called Birha. And after that, I made another one called Gumnamdin. So I went back to Punjab, Jharkhand, Chhattisgarh, Hyderabad. And kind of traced some of it and looked at what it means to be from looking at life from the other side, but also staying uh, kind of in this mode of moving and well, many workers going missing, etc. So I'm still very much in touch with some of the workers, at least at least the ones we see here. Health and safety, uh, there's nothing. I mean, uh, absolutely nothing, because uh, for both the workers, and I think it's just about being precarious, and you just take the risk, and if you survive it, you do. If you will make the film and you're alive, great. Uh, If you get to show it, great. It, it, It is on that brink, because after a while, I think it's a bit of a hoax, this whole, like... The reason I say it is because... By the time uh, the workers even know where to get the safety gear from, it's already time for them to, I don't know, get their first wage. There's no time for, like, to really think about your own safety. And most of the times, uh, you know, the helmets... I mean, I remember looking at one cart of helmets already broken or, like, you know, like things... The kind of work that they do is also... I feel that the metro is really handmade. Like, mm. literally, I feel it's with their hands. Mm. Uh, they just don't even like using it. Even if you ask them to wear the boots, they just prefer to actually get the work done faster. They believe that with their, with their bare feet and, I guess, their, you know, bare hands, they would probably be able to get more work done. And, uh, yes, of course, various workers uh, have also died. Like, just, I think, last month, there's been uh, many, uh, many, many, a few deaths that were reported last three, four months back, but subsequently, I think there's been reported deaths and many unreported deaths. Many, many of the workers are not registered, so the, neither does the BMRCL, which is the main metro rail corporation. They don't actually show up and neither do the contractors show up. So many of the bodies remain unclaimed and lie in freezers for days on end. So uh, if you are if you're going to just um, slip off a pillar and die then I mean that's it there is just no way you can it, of course some of the because none of them are also part of unions right so there's no safety net technically so the only relationships they have is with other workers who are also on the on the loose they're going to be here today gone tomorrow so there's no way of ensuring that so it's quite precarious and i think that um, that's just the way uh, I think one learns to live. Um,
0: Laura, so you wanted to come in. And... Yeah, sorry. I think
1: I'm. Is, going this?
2: Yeah, um, I, I wanted to yeah, sure. respond also to yeah. what we've learned. Um, yeah. and I wanted to give us all another reason why actor and all of us should have been protesting the <laughs> <laughs> the metro, the the, the Bangalore metro which is that this is the physical sign, the material sign of a whole form of financial extraction Mm. that is mimicking the forms of colonial extraction from India that used to exist under the railway guarantee. There was a railway guarantee put in place to secure returns for English investors when the railways were built in India that had a 4% return. And the nationalist movement was all about destroying that system of global extraction and creating a, a railway system that was kind of had socialist principles and was for the people who lived in India and had trade rates that supported industries in India. Um, but now we have, since liberalisation, the growth of more and more hidden financial vehicles that actually allow extraction, including in the City of London here, through green, what are called green infrastructure bonds at the same rate of extraction of 4% in, uh, return uh, that existed during the colonial period. And things like the Bangalore Metro are backed by JICA, but they're also supported by these financialized vehicles so Mm. we all have reasons to Mm. to protest Mm. especially if we're good Indian nationalists interestingly (laughs) Um, and then the second point I wanted to make (laughs) was to return from health and safety to ghosts because I can't I can't we can't (laughs) not have a conversation about ghosts Um, I'd like us to think about maybe what what are ghosts and why are the workers in Bangalore ghosts Um, and I'm thinking across to the field site where I was working, uh, this shipyard in Hara, where people were produ- men were producing ships that are actually now sailing on the North Sea. You know, talk about invisibilization. It was a, being made for a Scandinavian company, outsourced via Cyprus, then to a shipyard in Mumbai, and then to Kolkata. So the Scandinavian firm didn't know where the ships were being produced, and they were being produced with rented equipment mud you know no concrete no no place for men to sit between the shifts and the yards would get flooded by the tide <laughs> you know as the tide came in and and there were you know several small accidents every day and uh, severe accidents uh, people died um you know uh, so in that context ghosts were very important for the men because it allowed them to express a kind of Suffering that they weren't able to express to their families and couldn't really admit to themselves very often So they would tell stories of ghosts as ghosts being present in the yards as you were working And you would feel the presence of a ghost behind your back and just feel fear And you might then be provoked to have an accident because that presence was there and then men would try and explain why the ghosts were there And they would say that it was because during British times, uh, the British had hung nationalist resistors and they'd buried their bodies in the shipyard. And so that for them was a metaphor for their current exploitation within global capitalism. So for me, ghosts, when they appear in the heart of modernity are about, yeah, it's a very grand word, but it's about the death force or the necropolitics of growth, of capitalist growth. Mm -hmm. Now, I'm sure what was interesting about your ghost was that they were so feminine, female, mm-hmm. and they were about longing as well, but I wondered whether they were also about being able to express unease, suffering. When were they told? Because for, for the men who I worked with, they told the stories amongst themselves in kind of ways of bonding with each other to express suffering. They would talk about scars on their bodies at the same time.
1: Yeah, uh, I think that... Um I mean, uh, one is that I'm personally, I, I believe in ghosts and I feel like I see them and I feel them and I think it keeps me alive because I think this process of haunting mm-hmm. is uh, uh, something that kind of allows me in some ways to carry on. Uh, it's, it's difficult because it's, it's a way of remembering uh, an experience, a bad experience mm-hmm. that you've been trying to forget but in some ways you cannot because it will always return to you. Either through a dream, a nightmare, or some kind of surreal vision that you thought you saw, but maybe you didn't. And then, uh, it, it, I've grown up talking to my friends about, you know, some some of these experiences, and uh, there was a shared space for this. And I believe culturally there is a shared space to discuss these kinds of uh, absurd events that happen. Uh, in when we started. Uh, making the film first of all it was our own experience of getting into these spaces and just like entering uh we were going very late like we would go at 2 a.m uh, sometimes because then we had made friends with the security guard and then it's the only time that the contractors are not there the engineers are not there so we would go in there and it did really feel like there it was very ghostly to look at the city in that particular way. We were going very underground and we were also exploring the city in its ghostly sense, in the, in the ghostliness of it. So one was that. And I think in, when the workers were sharing, like for example, there was one story I really r- clearly remember, <coughs> where, which is not in the film, uh, of this uh, worker who actually died crossing the tracks. Mm. and uh, And I think the workers were quite... Disturbed by it for a very long time. And one of the workers kept saying, like, he's not dead, he's around, he's coming back. And uh, they all left. And uh, I think after, like, this kept happening to him, and then they started looking at him as if the ghost had, his ghost had possessed him. And then eventually they decided to go back home because that fear was so strong in their, uh, in their, um, th- so many of, uh, even with Surinder, who keeps talking about, uh ghosts, and uh, I think it 's also the memory of uh, women, uh, especially because his ghosts are mostly women, and I have like a lot of his ghost stories which talk about women and how it it um, kind of i think his own distance from uh, I guess the women folk in his village because they all either keep dying or they turn into these really scary creatures that you can encounter and still never. <coughs> you know, uh, uh, like you always have to be afraid uh, or you're always like uh, uh, kind of puzzled by their uh, disappearance. And this one is about also giving birth. And so there's a whole whole range of things that he particularly talked about. But uh, as we heard the stories, we kept thinking that uh, in a way, the ghost is a good metaphor for uh, laying this metaphor across this... Rapid transformation of the city, modernity—just mm-hmm. this idea of the man itself claiming this this space and uh, what this um, what this process could really mean—is it—is it like a collective haunting experience for all of us in the city as it's getting built and distra- uh, you know demolished? So uh, a very important uh, uh, there was a very uh, beautiful book that we came across as well. After we made presents, a friend uh, gave it to us, which kind of helped me understand the haunting question better. It's a book by Abby Gordon called Ghostly Matters. Uh, it's it's really beautiful in the way she kind of accounts for the ghost as an like that. The fact is the that the ghost is not just uh, it's not about whether you is the ghost real or not real, but how it plays on. Uh, I guess the renarration of this entire story to not just a friend, but I guess the world and how we have to carry this weight, uh, whether we like it or not, and uh, how this memory kind of keeps reproducing itself uh, as we kind of keep retelling these stories. So I think that the haunting is um, kind of a social haunting and we have to kind of look at it as a, um, a broader phenomenon that we can't escape. Precisely in presence, we were hoping that you would always sense this kind of, the seething presence of the worker in his absence. Mm. Like him as, if I'm taking the metro, I would like everyone, all the commuters, to feel that Mm. sense that there was someone here building this and probably going through a totally different set of experiences. And that was kind of what we wanted to, that's how the edit kind of came about. It's very yeah.
0: interesting because in the film, one of the translations was that I do not believe in ghosts, yeah. we are all ghosts. It's yeah. a kind of contradiction in a sense. Yeah. But this, this understanding of ghostliness, I think, is apart from the stories, mm. it reminds me of the current discourse on migration policy in this country. Mm-hmm. Yeah? There's the idea between high-skilled yeah. and low-skilled mm, migrants. Yeah. Oh. And the low-skilled migrants are these ghosts. Yes. Yeah? yes. Um, I would I would argue that low skill migrants uh, measured in economic terms yeah. are about skills, but if they are working in care or they're working in hospitality, uh, they have notions of compassion, mm. which you might not find definitely amongst definitely you will find amongst bankers for example yeah? <laughs> so where does the skill of compassion where does the skill of of, right. of, of belonging come to right. and if one thinks about how we're sitting in this building, or you're sitting in another building, or you're sitting in the the city, that those were built by ghostly figures. There's no record anywhere. And the issue around health and safety is an interesting one, because on one hand, there are records of who these migrants are. And those records are held by the labor contractors who pay their wages. But otherwise, there is no record. record. So when somebody dies, and this ke- I came across in my research as well, it's very easy to s- explain that as, oh yes, this person came, worked for three days, and then mm-hmm. ran away. End of story. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And um, when I was doing my research, a, a, a 11-story building collapsed in Chennai, of which 61 workers died. Mm-hmm. But the entire focus of the investigation was on the quality of the construction and the engineer and the architect. Not about... Why these workers were living in a building under construction, which is against some of the Building and Other Construction Workers Acts mm-hmm. of 1970. Yeah. So, when you talk about health and safety, you have this notion of the hard hat, and that's it. There's no other. When we were going into our sites, we didn't have to wear any any protective gear, and that that idea of disposability of labour you know, is very much very strong in the kind of work we do, especially with migrant workers, yes. who tend to be hidden. And I must say also that the, the, the kind of procurement of these migrant workers, especially the interstate ones, is combined with very hostile government policy against housing. Today you cannot, cannot just internally migrate in India and just settle down along a pavement or somewhere else. Mm-hmm. You'll be evicted. This you could do 30 years ago. Yeah, so, they, so how that policy then is changing the nature of migration flows is, is also a very interesting, interesting part of this. And it's
2: really interesting that all of the very strong late 19th, early 20th century workers' movements in India, in places like you know, then Bombay, Mumbai were based around workers' colonies where they were able to bring their families and they were able to build strong community networks over the long term, which then formed the basis of political movements. So the government policy yes. is not unintentional. Sure,
0: indeed. And I can think also of where, for example, when workplace and residence becomes the same, it's almost impossible to access these workers. I mean, I'm very, uh, I know the people... The construction workers' union in Tamil Nadu, who do work with construction workers who live outside of the construction site, but they have not been able to access these workers because there is no way that you can go and look at this. I think there was a question. Uh, Yes, the
4: workers seem to. The workers are from different parts of the country, so they're from Haryana and Calcutta and I suppose Bihar and. And I was interested in the language of longing and desire and love and loss and whether in fact so it's sort of it's in Hindi and then you have the subtitles for in English. But with these different workers from different parts of the country, I wondered both with ghosts and with longing how the sort of you tap into a sort of universal worker in some senses and universal dreams and desires, but also as we know the country has all of these different ways of dreaming about, and the language is so important, the vocabularies that people use so in these these colonies, could you tell us a little more about you know other are, are Bengalis all living together and other people from sort of uh, Bihar together and and what is the relationship between food and language in relationship to dreaming and, and belonging there?
3: Thank you. I thought it was great how you, you know, the narratives of these men are going against a lot of stereotypes. And as the conversation has gone on, you've shown that you've got a nostalgia yourself for, and a kind of pride in that city. So I want to ask you, what are you proud of in Bangalore? And I guess I'm asking that in the context of, you know, your film and, you know, the the wider um, picture of, financialization and development, a very rapid development of a lot of India's cities. Mm. But also, um, I was reminded in in the film of, um, of a poet, uh, by a poem by Piet Ayn, the Dutch poet, and it's very short, it's just like this. Losing one glove is certainly painful, but nothing compared to the pain of losing one glove, of finding the first one. At throwing away the, fir- the other one and finding the first one again <laughs> and this was written in the context of the Dutch uh, resistance to occupation by the Nazis and in that context they, the poets trying to communicate this idea that um, you can have your nation taken away from you yeah. and at some point you kind of throw away your nationalism or your sense of national pride but your nation might come back and then you're really gonna need that sense of pride and that nationalism. So in that way there was almost like a, I feel in what you've said, there's like a positive pride and a positive nationalism potentially in your nostalgia for the past and why you wanted to protest against that metro. So maybe you could say why you're proud of your city, is it, if it, if it is your city. Thank you. Take okay. okay. uh, These
1: two. Uh, okay, first, Meena. Uh, yes, uh, I think that, of course, people have uh, their own languages of dreaming, and I think food plays central role. Actually, it's the one thing that they really, really care about, whether it's getting the Kala jeera from yes. that village, in that, from their village, they'll do whatever it takes to get it from there. So the, it's quite like uh, the labor colony itself is, I've been to labor colonies where there are more than 3,000 men there are no women uh so it's just mostly men and then it's mostly like mini it's like a mini central india thing it's, so it's punjab then there's one whole row of bihar one whole row of a bit of orissa a bit like so it's it's in these rows in that sense and some of them have cooks but people really like to come back and cook their own food because that even if it's one meal that they can cook and eat it matters a lot to them uh why uh, uh, uh so our language of communication with them both for yashu and me uh, it was hindi because uh, we spoke to them it, it, they couldn't get any more people inside the labor colony one uh, it was just just us going there itself had become quite a risk and we were doing things in a very crazy manner like we were just basically lying to a lot of people in different places and just trying to get our way in. But the whole idea was to ensure that the relationship we were building with them was getting stronger, in which case, I guess the only language we could communicate with them was in Hindi. Uh, So we didn't, uh, of course our our cinematographer was Bengali, so it kind of helped in opening up some of the conversations, but I think that the, the deeper, like where we could really stay with the workers was Uh, it was uh, unfortunately only in Hindi. However, most of the other most of the research also wasn't also based on everything spoken. It was also a lot of observation and us just spending very quiet time uh, in most of the labor colonies. So I feel like we kind of collectively there were some moments when we felt like we were I don't know, like especially twilight in like 3am 3 to 5am is that time when I don't know it's kind of a very uh, a, um a very special time it kind of just makes you feel like there's something unreal about it so I feel like those moments we we were with the workers and so somewhere we try to depict them either through the landscape or through the atmosphere or the mood that we felt at that moment with them. So in a way, uh, we couldn't bring in the diversity of languages, but most of them also in Bangalore would communicate in Hindi. Like even with each other, it's mostly Hindi. And of course, the dialects are very different. So there is Thattisgadi, which is then my next film, but there's different, like even the Bihari way of speaking is obviously quite different from how, uh, uh, I guess someone from Bengal would speak, but... Yeah, the we tried our best to stay with the, uh with building our relationships and friendships in as strong way in a, as much a strong way as we could because it was such limited time so bringing in a translator would just I think ruin the process. So yeah. Uh then yes, I I'm not so sure I'm proud of the city I come from. In fact, I think I'm I live there and I choose to stay there because I want to see the logical conclusion of it. And I think I want to experience all forms of violence that it can throw at me in the sense of it's just changing. So from nostalgia, I think it's turned a little bit into kind of accepting what it's becoming now and uh, not very uh, thrilled by what it shows me. And I think in interacting with a lot of the workers who are building the site, Uh, It's left left me, I think, with a deep sense of melancholia and kind of regret uh, that I am from there. And uh, just, I think, just before I came uh, to Bangalore, one of my friends who was in the film, he called me up and he said, Ekta, I'm just going to set the metro on fire. And it was crazy. And he was just really drunk and was really angry. And it's because he didn't get paid for the last week. And he's been trying to get his his act together for the last 6 months and no matter where he goes he just he's one of those workers who d- believes that dignity of labor is more important than anything else and he's like if i worked hard for 8 hours why are they not paying me my dues i just want a mattress i just want water and i just want to be able to cook my food, and I just want my wages. So if you can't do this much, what's the point of building this metro? And he's like, I'm, uh, I'm reaching that point where I'm going to pick up arms and run across your city. So I was uh, listening to him, and it got me thinking about what it must mean for someone who kind of lives through this reality and on an everyday basis. And if he feels that sentiment so strongly, it must mean uh, it, it's, it's a clue and a hint for where we are living. I mean this,
0: this point about the the exploitation is so common because uh, there are laws which, mm. which which provide for overtime work. But in these situations the work is extracted without with impunity, you know, without any not even the payment of regular wages, mm. let alone mm. this. And there's no authority you can take this to. And if you're indebted in the first instance by having taken an advance, mm. you're, the sense of being what uh, Jan Breiman talks, unfree labor, you know, it becomes that much more uh, restricted.
1: And I guess there's only poetry to turn to in the end. <laughs> yeah.
2: Which is why the workers are poets. Mm. Hi. Thank you very much for sharing the stories. You realize it's Bangalore from 10 years ago when you see cars still moving on the road as compared to being <laughs> stuck <laughs> in exactly. uh, Yeah. So a couple of questions. So, in, in your credits, more than 90% of the people were from the north. Yeah. Uh, and there's some people from North Karnataka, yeah. a few people from Andhra Pradesh. Is there a reason why there were not more local workers, uh, why there are not more lo- local laborers? And probably for the whole panel, why is there so much migration in labor, in places like India in general? Because for, uh, in, in my travels in, in Bangalore or across the south, you see a lot of people from the north working in construction. Uh, is there a specific reason for it?
0: Yeah. I mean, if I just kick off very quickly to say that uh, I, would, I would argue that construction and agriculture are quite allied in the sense of the, of the seasonal rains and so on and so forth. Right? There is also a tradition of the, the kind of notion that Certain skills come from certain parts of the country. And there's been a crisis in agriculture, a massive crisis in agriculture. So people are moving. Uh, In my work, there were no people from Tamil Nadu working in Chennai. They were all working in Kerala. And you get the people from Orissa and Andhra who come with families because of the affinity of language. And all the male migrants then are from Bihar, Chhattisgarh, and so on and so forth. And these people are constantly on the move. Mm. Constantly on that move. So, migration has always been a large uh, part of uh, of the Indian, uh, Indian mm. psyche, if you like, um, and, that, and that in construction especially, where, where because construction is fixed, it's got a time frame, you have to move. There's, there's very little you can do. It's unlike a, an automobile plant or a, or even a shipyard mm. where you're much more more size. Laura?
2: Um, yeah, and very interestingly, um, for with, as you know, we've been describing, there have been, you know, actually since the railways were built in India, <coughs> there have been movements from areas to areas to kind of provide labour. Um, and interestingly, young men in Hara, where there's limited work, Um, and limited skilled work would go to places like Bangalore to work in order to gain basic skills and then they would hope to progress upwards into kind of shipyard work whatever else So It's a kind of life course thing and of course, you know, as we saw in Ector's wonderful film This is not just about wages pulling them. This is about a project of freedom however bitter as well, which is I'm a young man, I'm going to go with my friends and I'm going to go to Bangalore and I can have these potential encounters as a, not quite, maybe, yeah, of modernity and a flaneur and whatever else. There's a kind of desire there as well. You were
0: mentioning earlier as well about distance, wasn't it? I mean, how they seek that distance.
2: Oh, yeah. Mm. Uh,
1: Yeah, I mean, just to respond to that, I think that uh, it's a very, I think for me it's a very mathematical thing. It's like, there's no way that Bangalore would employ local labor because a they're expensive, they're with their families, uh, they don't want to work overtime, and uh, when it's contract labor, uh, which is the biggest problem I think in the country, when it's contract labor, it's completely uh, uh, it's completely arbitrary in the sense that uh, if a worker comes, and especially in large infrastructural projects like the metro, it's mostly men who are from. Who are not from who are not local so then you don't have this obligation to pay uh, them better wages there's no you cannot collectivize you cannot organize and you know, can't form unions so you can't uh, so you're here today gone tomorrow there's a very a very um, a complicated kind of line of contract labor like so it goes from like there's a person from the village then there's someone in the district then there's someone in the railway station then there's somebody at another stop then but you a lot of people don't know how they came to bangalore so in a way that chain of thing makes you really anonymous and quite like uh yeah yeah disposable in the sense of like you're just there and you have this work you just do it you're just picked up from point a to point b you can you have to work overtime and you won't get paid. So the exploitation can go up as much as you want. And you're, you're, you're living in tin sheds, tin sheets, c- colonies like you saw here. There's no water. This is the life. And if you want to be in this kind of place, then this is how it works here. So it's, I think it's dadagiri, like, if you know what I mean. So it's like, it's like that. And I think that uh, the uh, on the one hand, it, this is the only kind of labor that the ba- Bangalore Metro Rail corporation will employ because they just subcontracted to larger construction companies and those construction companies subcontracted to other contractors and then their line of contractors follow so and the contractors are extremely uh i don't know there's a they're quite dubious and i think they have their own ways of it's so the aspiration for a worker could actually be to be uh, to become a contractor So that could be one of the aspirations. So it's like, I want to get there. So it's worker, foreman, contractor. So it's it's that. And, and yeah, and also, like, I think that the migration in India is increasing because nobody wants to farm. It's extreme amounts of hard work. Young people are really done. There's an agrarian crisis. Uh, you don't, it's just monsoon-dependent, most of agriculture. It's totally a mess, as we know it, in India. So... They don't want to farm so they've left and I think uh, also I think in uh, many of the workers shared with me that uh, living in the village is far more difficult and far more violent and disturbing. Many of them have run away from Mm -hmm. home. They've not uh, not been able to fall in love properly, fully. Many of their dreams are unfulfilled. uh, There's a lot of caste violence that one can, one has experienced in first hand at home and they just want to be away from it so they'd rather be alienated than confronted at home so then that's also a reason why they would like prefer to be anonymous forever than go back home and deal with caste and you know there's like i don't know there's so many expectations uh, even as a young boy what you need to do how much you need to provide when you need to get married it's 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 quite shitty yeah.
0: <laughs> now i think it's uh it's been fascinating and just to end on this notion of aspirations yeah. we asked all our workers about aspirations mm-hmm. and there was a huge list mm-hmm. and one was to become a labor contractor mm. but if you ask them how would that be possible? Would you be able to give cash advances? Would you be able to control your workers? They said oh, let's not worry about all those things you know these are things that we will we'll manage to do so the notion of dreams is still very much alive it's not about this is not going to be reality mm-hmm. Uh, Laura, thank you very much for, for your questions. And Hector, thank you very much for sharing the film and your, your reflections on it and yeah. the making. Thank you. Yeah.
1: Thank you all for making it. It, it must be, um, I mean, I've just been traveling in London. It's crazy. Thank you for being here.